Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 5 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. This segment is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Podcast 19, Episode 2, Chapter 1b, Pliable. Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory. Therefore, the names are types or symbols. For example, Pliable, who agrees to accompany Christian, symbolizes all those who are agreeable and easy to manipulate. They are unreliable, however, and take the easiest way. They do not lead, they follow. Pilgrim's Progress reads much like a very long sermon. The model, of course, is taken from the Bible itself, which Christian refers to as the book. Evangelists teach us strictly from the book. In Pilgrim's Progress, we will meet characters such as worldly wise men, who give advice contrary to the book, as well as other characters such as help, who give advice in harmony with the book. Worldly wise man is very persuasive, because he bases his advice on logic, unencumbered by religious dogmatism. He sounds very logical, Christian told worldly wise men that he is carrying a heavy burden. Worldly wise men simply said, put it down. In other words, you don't have to go through the steps of repentance. Simply get rid of the guilt. Use counseling if necessary. Use medication. Use meditation. Use the legal system. Pilgrim's progress is ingenious, but not subtle. It is didactic, not ironic. Anyone familiar with the Holy Bible is well aware of its generous use of simile, metaphor, analogy, allegory, and parables. For example, in the story of the fall of the house of Gideon, Abimelech, a son of Gideon, born to a concubine from the tribe of Shisham, Abimelech conspires with the fellow tribesmen to murder all the sons of Gideon and make himself king of Israel. With the help of hired assassins, he murders his 70 brothers. Only one brother escapes. It is Jotham. Jotham confronts Abimelech and his followers with the following allegory. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness, wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, 
come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let a fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. The richness of the allegory lies in understanding the importance of the olive tree, the fig tree, and the grapevines to the house of Israel, as well as the symbolism of the brambles. The first three symbols represent peace, prosperity, healing, security, law, and order. They symbolize the people of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The brambles symbolize just the opposite. They are to be cast into the fire and burned. Jotham prophesied, If ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubal and with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech, and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo, and let fire come out of the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo, and devour Abimelech. The prophecy is fulfilled. The men of Shechem are burned by fire, and Abimelech is crushed by a millstone. What distinguishes Bunyan's method of preaching from the book is that Pilgrim's Progress is just one long allegory. The stories and the characters aren't real. They are all symbolic. However, Bunyan uses the Bible as the only standard of judgment, and all of his characters are inspired by stories from the Bible, representing virtues or vices. Every character represents a type or symbol or figure. John Bunyan is asking us to evaluate our own lives and see what type we are. Are we Christian? Are we worldly wise men? Are we pliable? Are we obstinate? He also asks us to determine if we are on the straight and narrow path, or have we been led off the path, as was Christian, by those such as worldly wise men. It is a cautionary tale which follows a very old tradition of storytelling. In the first episode, obstinance abruptly left with the following final words. And I will go back to my place, said obstinate, and I will be no companion of such misled, fantastical fellows. Let's pick up our story with Pliable, who agrees to accompany Christian. Note how excited Pliable becomes when Christian points out all the promises from the book. Come, neighbor Pliable, how do you do? I am glad you are persuaded to go along with me. Had even abstinent himself but felt what I have felt of the powers and terrors of what is yet unseen, he would not thus lightly have given us the back. Come, neighbor Christian, since there are none but us two here, tell me now further what the things are and how to be enjoyed, whether we are going. I can better understand them with my mind than speak of them with my tongue, but yet since you are desirous to know, I will tell of them in my book. And do you think that the words of your book are certainly true? Yes, verily, for it was made by him that cannot lie. Well said. What things are they? There is an endless kingdom to be enjoyed, an everlasting life to be given us, that we may live in that kingdom forever. Well said, and what else? There are crowns of glory to be given us, and garments that will make us shine like the sun in the sky. 
This is very pleasant. And what else? There shall be no more crying nor sorrow, for he that is owner of the place will wipe all tears from our eyes. And what company shall we have there? There we shall be with seraphims and cherubims, creatures that shall dazzle your eyes to look on them. There also you shall meet with thousands and tens of thousands that have gone before us to that place. None of them are hurtful, but all loving and holy, every one walking in the sight of God and standing in his presence with acceptance forever. In a word, there we shall see the elders with their golden crowns, there we shall see the holy women with their golden harps, there we shall see men that by the world were cut in pieces, burned in flames, eaten of beasts, drowned in the seas, for the love they bear to the Lord of the place, all well and clothed with everlasting life as with a garment. The hearing of this is enough to delight one's heart. But are these things to be enjoyed? How shall we get to be sharers thereof? The Lord, the governor of the country, hath written that in this book, the substance of which is, if we be truly willing to have it, he will bestow it upon us freely. Well, my good companion, glad am I to hear of these things. Come on, let us mend our pace. If you are familiar with the tale of Don Quixote and Sancho Panza by Miguel de Cervantes, you will recognize a similarity. Sancho rode on his ass like a patriarch with his alforja and bota, longing to see himself soon governor of the island his master had promised him. Don Quixote decided upon taking the same route and road he had taken on his first journey, that over the Campo de Montiel, which he traveled with less discomfort than on the last occasion, for as it was early morning and the rays of the sun fell on him obliquely, the heat did not distress them. And now, said Sancho to his master, your worship will take care, Signor Knight Errant, not to forget about the island you have promised me, for be it ever so big, I'll be equal to governing it. To which Don Quixote replied, Thou must know, friend Sancho, that it was a practice very much in vogue with the knights errant of old to make their squires governors over the islands or kingdoms they won, and I am determined that there shall be no failure on my part in so liberal a custom. On the contrary, I mean to improve upon it, for they sometimes, and perhaps most frequently, waited until their squires were old, and then, when they had had enough service and hard days and worse nights, they gave them some title or other, of count, or at the most Marcus, of some valley or providence more or less. But if thou livest and I live, it may well be that before six days are over, I may have won some kingdom that has other dependent upon it, which will be just the thing to enable thee to be crowned king of one of them. Nor needest thou count this wonderful, for things and chances fall to the lot of such knights in ways so unexplained and unexpected 
that I might easily give thee even more than I promised thee. In that case, said Sancho, if I should become a king by one of those miracles your worship speaks of, even Juana Gutierrez, my old woman, would come to be queen and my children infants. Well, who doubts it, said Don Quixote. I doubt it, replied Sancho, because for my part I am persuaded that though God should shower down kingdoms upon earth, not one of them would fit the head of Mari Gutierrez. Let me tell you, senor, she is not worth two maravedas for a queen. Countess will fit her better, and that only with God's help. Leave it to God, Sancho, returned Don Quixote, for he will give her what suits her best. But do not undervalue thyself so much as to come to be content with anything less than being governor of a province. I will not, senor, answered Sancho, especially as I have a man of such quality for a master in your worship, who will know how to give me all that will be suitable for me and that I can bear. Those familiar with the story of the mad Don Quixote know what disastrous things happened, and often it was to Sancho Panza who suffered the most. Obviously, he never receives any of the rewards. Pliable is a kind of Sancho Panza, for he too expects all the rewards without having earned them. It is very predictable what will happen to Pliable. I cannot go so fast as I would by reason of this burden on my back. Now I saw in my dream that just as they had ended this talk, they drew nigh to a very miry slough or swamp that was in the midst of the plain, and they, being heedless, did both fall suddenly into the bog. The name of the slough was Despond. Here, therefore, they wallowed for a time, being grievously bedowed with dirt. And Christian, because of the burden that was on his back, began to sink into the mire. Then said Pliable, On, neighbor Christian, where are you now? Truly, said Christian, I do not know. At this Pliable began to be offended, and angrily said to his fellow, Is this the happiness you have told me all this while of? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and our journey end? May I get out again with my life? You shall possess the brave country alone for me. And with that, he gave a desperate struggle or two and got out of the mire on the side of the swamp which was next to his own house. So away he went, and Christian saw him no more. Pliable returns home, and rather than praise his former friend, he turns the neighbors against him. Now I saw in my dream that by this time Pliable was got home to his house, so his neighbors came to visit him, and some of them called him wise man for coming back, and some called him a fool for risking himself with Christian. Others did mock at his cowardliness, saying, Surely, since you began to venture, I would not have been so base to have given out for a few difficulties. So Pliable sat sneaking among them, but at last he got more confidence, and then they all turned their tails and began to abuse poor Christian behind his back, and thus much concerning Pliable. 
We should also consider the possibility that Christian is also part of the characters he picks up along the way. In other words, there are faults inherent in Christian's nature that he must overcome. For example, he initially wanted obstinate and pliable to go with him. They are actually part of his own character. When Christian leaves those bad fellows behind, we may assume that Christian's character is becoming more refined, and he is growing in greater knowledge of the Lord, and just what is expected of a true follower of Christ. And it must be considered that Bunyan, who addresses his allegory to other Christians, sees these as faults of human nature. Please join us next week as we continue the adventures of Christian on his way to perfection. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.